everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening. We are kicking off Severe Weather Awareness Month for the month of April. Several severe weather events have taken place in the Carolinas throughout the years, and we anticipate uh, you will learn about severe weather and all these different events that has affected the Carolinas uh, throughout this month. So we're going to kick off the event with Trish Palmer. She is the Warning Coordinator Meteorologist at the National Weather Service in Greenville, Spartanburg. And we're going to be talking about severe weather, the types that we get, the uh, differences between watches and warnings, and how you can receive alerts and actually submit your reports to the National Weather Service for that valuable information. So Trish, uh, thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, we appreciate that. And I guess our first question for you is, uh, what is a typical severe weather setup here in the Carolinas? I know uh, we have the, in the springtime, we have these big severe weather events, but also in the summertime, some of those uh, pop-up thunderstorms can also be severe. So what are the, uh, the main setups that we see here in the Carolinas? Well, when we're talking severe weather, like you mentioned, um, especially in the summertime, most of our severe weather reports come from those summertime thunderstorms that develop uh, generally in the lead of the Appalachians in the Western Piedmont, and then they continue to sort of spread east or propagate around the area. And we actually have sort of a climatological maximum in severe weather reports just right here, right adjacent to the Southern Appalachians. And part of that is the influence of that topography on the severe weather. Um, but most of our severe weather reports do come from those summertime pop-up thunderstorms in the form of damaging winds, usually when we have those microbursts. Now, when we're talking about spring and occasionally fall severe weather season, we have a couple of different types of setups that we're dealing with. And the first, what we usually see is called high shear low cape or HSLC. And basically what that means for the meteorologist with all the, the, the crazy weather jargon that we're using, that means that there's a lot of shear in the atmosphere, which is a lot of the wind is, uh, winds are changing in wind speed or direction with height. So there's a lot of that that allows those storms to rotate, but there's not necessarily quite as much instability. So that's the low CAPE, and CAPE is the convective available potential instability uh, energy there. Um, so we have these high shear low CAPE, and that's when we'll see, you know, these lines of smaller thunderstorms with maybe some embedded tiny supercells, and they'll put down these weak tornadoes that we occasionally have. Every once in a while, we'll get a stronger setup where we have um, additional cape. And um, when we have that combined with the high shear, that's when we can get the supercells. And those are the, the kinds of storms that we see out in the plains or Mississippi, Alabama area. So when we see those storms, that's when we're worried about the potential for bigger tornadoes. Now, we don't get very big tornadoes here very often. They're very, very, very rare but we can certainly still get damaging straight line winds. And that really is our number one weather related threat here with those severe storms. Of course, a big concern that we have is always, always, always flash flooding. And that can be outside of severe storms. So that's, as far as weather goes, flash flooding is our, is our top weather concern. But when we're talking about the severe storms, we're more concerned about damaging winds generally than the tornadoes or large hail, because we don't, get the tornadoes or really large hail very often, but we get lots of damaging winds around here. Trish, thankfully our understanding of weather and how to forecast is advanced enough nowadays that we can see these severe weather events coming from days out. I know the SPC Storm Prediction Center issues outlooks in the days leading up to an event. How are those outlooks generated and how does SPC interact with the local office 
like NWS GSB? So the SPC takes a 30,000 foot view of what's going on across the country. This is very similar to what the Weather Prediction Center does with their rainfall forecast. So SPC does sort of the same thing with severe weather and fire weather forecasts for that matter. So what they do is they provide guidance on the big picture scale. And then when we're doing our internal collaboration, they're letting us know what they're seeing, whether it's you know shear or instability, or maybe they're looking at the, the CAMs, the convection allowing models, um, all sorts of new parameters that they can look at, um, uh, significant tornado parameter, all of these. But with, with the CAMs out there, um, that's really improved severe weather forecasting. So what they do is they put it all together, they, but they're looking at a big picture, and then they coordinate with us um, on what they're seeing and what those risk categories are, because there are sometimes we might see local effects that sometimes with it, they don't live here necessarily, right? So um, they might not realize, hey, this is how cold air damming influences this type of weather pattern. So we've seen that a lot, actually, that, you know, maybe the severe weather isn't as bad as originally thought because, say, the cold air damming is a little stronger than originally forecast. So then once we get closer in time, and we're seeing the environment evolve either with the forecast or away from the forecast, SPC will then coordinate with, with each office individually um, as they're thinking about issuing uh, severe thunderstorm watches or tornado watches and whether that should be in rare cases a PDS or a particularly dangerous situation tornado watch. And again, we will coordinate that uh, locally with them. We actually get on conference calls. Um, so there may be, say, us in Columbia and Peachtree City and maybe Morristown on a call. And we'll talk about, hey, maybe this county should be in, because SPC draws this box. So they, they give us a, a first guess of counties, but we know our area. So maybe, for example, it their initial guess includes most of the upstate, Greenville-Spartanburg area, and then maybe, say, Gaston County. Well, we know that Gaston County is really part of the Charlotte Metro. So if that's really on the edge, maybe we can say, okay, let's not involve the Charlotte area just yet. Let's hold off. So there's, there's a little bit of um, discussing back and forth which counties should be in or which counties should be out based on our local knowledge of our partners and our media areas. That's really good to know the, the collaboration between you all. So we kind of got the outlook. That's kind of the first thing. And then once we get into the day of the event, uh, we start to see watches and warnings issued. You, you were briefly there talking about watches. So uh, for those folks who, who may not be uh, up to par with all their weather knowledge, you know, there's a lot of confusion about a watch and a warning and exactly what that means. Can you tell us uh, the difference between those? Okay, so a watch is issued when conditions are favorable for the hazardous weather to occur. So like a tornado watch would be, you know, we've got the environment there, we're expecting storms to fire. The watch phase is, depending on the type of the of severe weather we're looking at, the watch phase, that's the time that you make your final preparations. You get everything into place. Maybe um, if it's a tornado watch, you you have a you have your stuff together that you can just grab your your helmet and your shoes and your purse or whatever and take it down to the basement. Um, but you can just you can carry on with what you're doing, but just have everything ready to go. And then a warning is issued when the severe weather threat is imminent or occurring. And that means you need to take action now. So again, in the case of a tornado warning, you need to get in, get down, cover up. So get your helmet on, get your shoes on, cover up with a blanket or pillow or whatever. Get into your bath, bathtub, bathroom, interior hallway, basement, 
that's when you put your action plan into place. And so Trish, over the last few years, we've started seeing these impact-based warnings where uh, it used to be a whole county, now it's narrowed down to a polygon. Uh, new this year is a new tiered severe thunderstorm warning. I believe that goes in effect towards the end of April, uh, end mm -hmm. of this month. So uh, I know it's kind of fresh, a new fresh product. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's, uh, what's new out of these? So when we're going to be implementing these impact-based severe thunderstorm warnings, for us on our side, it'll be pretty much seamless, but on the user side, you'll see some slightly different wording. Um, so what happens is when we're looking at a storm, when we go to issue that warning, we have certain uh, buttons that we can press for what we're seeing in the storm. Are we seeing, you know, 60 mile per hour winds or 70 mile per hour winds or, or whatever? And then we can add context to that. We can add a little bit more information. Once we're seeing a thunderstorm that um, could become severe, that's when we issue our severe thunderstorm warning. And again, that's generally about 60 mile per hour winds or one inch hail or hail the size of a quarter in diameter. If we're looking at, say, 70 mile per hour winds and maybe hail that's uh, 1.75 inches, something like that in diameter, that's when what's going to fall out of that warning, uh, a, a little tag will uh, fall out at the very bottom. And that's going to say considerable. It'll be a damage tag of considerable. Because when you're talking 70 mile per hour winds and 1.75 inch hail or 1.75 inch hail, you could get quite a bit of damage out of that. Now, every once in a while, we get some real doozy of, doozies of severe thunderstorms. And so if we're looking at winds of 80 miles per hour greater or hail of 2.75 inches or greater, that's going to be a destructive tag. So down at the bottom of that severe thunderstorm warning, it'll be destructive. And that will set off the wireless emergency alert on your phone if the cell phone, the tower, that's covering your cell phone at the time is in that polygon, in that little box that we draw. So again, we're gonna have our, just our basic severe thunderstorm warning and all, all severe thunderstorms can be dangerous. We're gonna have our considerable, which is 70 mile per hour winds and 1.75 inch hail. And then we're gonna have our destructive, which is 80 mile per hour winds or 2.75 inch hail. Do similar tags exist for tornado warnings? Yes, actually. And those are really, that, that takes a little bit more involvement on the forecaster's part. So for tornado warnings, we have base, considerable, and catastrophic. I know that's confusing. Base, considerable, destructive for severes. Base, considerable, catastrophic for tornadoes. Um, so we've got this for tornado warnings also. Really, um, when we're looking at our base tornado warning, again, that's, you know, we're seeing rotation on the radar. Um, we're concerned that it could put down a tornado anytime. When we upgrade to a considerable, that's when we're maybe getting reports about of a tornado on the ground or we're seeing um, radar confirmation like in our uh, CC or we're getting in, again into the jargon, the, the, the tornado debris signatures basically. So we can move up to a um, considerable at that point in order to provide mainly emergency managers with just a little bit more information. Now, all tornado warnings will go off on your wireless emergency alerts. So then after that is your catastrophic tornado. And for any of your viewers or listeners out there who have ever heard of the tornado emergency, um, that was really a thing that started back with the May 3rd, 1999 tornadoes out in Oklahoma. The, the 
catastrophic tornado warning, that's basically your tornado emergency. And it will have on the headline, a tornado emergency is in effect for whatever location. And that's when we're seeing um, a large confirmed tornado generally headed towards some sort of metropolitan area, but it doesn't have to be a huge metropolitan area. Anytime that we're really concerned about significant loss of life, uh, we would upgrade to that catastrophic or tornado emergency. So Trish, uh, you've been pointing to your phone a lot during this uh, conversation. Uh, the National Weather Service, you all recommend not only having one source of a way to get alerts. How many sources should people have and, and what are some of those sources that uh, that people can look into to receive alerts? As many as possible, because with anything you want backups and redundant methods. Um, you know, what if we, we, we saw this in um, some of the tornadoes that we had, not just here, but elsewhere last spring, where you had some big tornadoes taking down cell phone towers. Well, if you have the cell phone towers going down, you're not going to get that WIA or the wireless emergency alert. So ideally, you'd have a NOAA weather radio because that will go off and that will be very obnoxious and it will wake you up. <laughs> and that's that's really your best bet, because as long as it's plugged in and it's working, you know, people turn off their WIAs on their phone. They, some people have, have, are pretty savvy and know how to turn that off. We would recommend that they don't, but some people do. Or maybe your cell phone isn't charged. Maybe it's, a, you know, the battery died or whatever. So there, there's, there's your NOAA weather radio, your standard NOAA weather radio, um, your cell phone. There are your favorite local TV meteorologists. Maybe some of the TV stations have apps that you could use, you could download. I believe FEMA has an app that you can download. We in the National Weather Service do not have an app, but some of the state um, emergency management partners that we work with do, like South Carolina EMD. I believe they've got an app. So there are lots of different apps out there that would work in addition to the WIA on your phone. Again, there's, there's social media. So Twitter, Facebook, following your, your your favorite weather people, um, whether it's a TV meteorologist, you guys, anything that we issue is going to go out on our, our social media channels. And lots of you guys out there will retweet that for people. So that's a pretty good way. Now, we recommend you don't rely on social media because sometimes, you know, those, those systems can go down. Um, but that's why it's important to have multiple ways to receive warnings. So if the cell phone tower gets hit, maybe you can still get it on the NOAA weather radio and so on and so forth. What are some other ways that people can prepare uh, when severe weather looms? When we're talking about severe weather um, coming into the area, we want people, again, especially in the watch phase when that watch is issued, you need to have your disaster kit ready to go. And that would include things like, oh, well, you know, medications, important documents or papers or stuff like that, and, and have it in one location. You need to have a family communication plan in place. And that's really important, especially like on a day um, like what we may have on uh, tomorrow, March 18th. If, say, we've got a really big risk in place and maybe schools transition into e-learning. Well, the parents are still working. If you've got a teenager, does your teenager know what to do if he or she is by themselves and you're still at work? That's really important to have those conversations before the severe weather hits. They need to know where to go during severe weather. They need to go need to know what to do and how to contact you or some other family member if something were to happen to you at your workplace or to your child at the home. If you live in a mobile home, that is not a safe place to be during severe weather. So again, during the watch phase, when the watch is issued, 
that's when you need to have a plan and be thinking, okay, perhaps it's time now to go over to grandma's house. Maybe grandma has a site built house, um, but you need to find an alternate shelter rather than a mobile home. Trisha, is there a good advice for anyone? Um, once the storm passes uh, and things start to calm down, uh, if someone comes across damage uh, or flooding or something like that, how, how can they submit those reports to you guys? If you can do so safely, and your safety is number one, um, we've got a website. You can go to weather.gov slash GSP slash reporting. And on that website, we've got a phone number and we've got an online form that you could fill out. Um, but another great way is just tweet us at NWSGSP. That's really, that's a fantastic way. Um, of course, another way is to sometimes, you know, if, if, if you've got damage and especially if you've got some injuries, we will find out from the 911 centers or from the county emergency management. But you can let your favorite TV meteorologist know, let you guys know, and you guys will get us that information. So it'll eventually get to us. But yes, if you tweet us that at NWSGSP or just go to, again, weather.gov slash GSP slash reporting. And that's a great way to get us the information. Well, Trish, we definitely appreciate your time. And I know hopefully this is a quiet spring season and we don't have to deal with too much severe weather. But uh, for those who live in the upstate of South Carolina, Western North Carolina, follow GSP. Could you, uh, I know you don't work in the Columbia and Wilmington offices, but uh, I guess you could assume that we could report, uh, get those reports to those weather forecast offices as well the same way and, and follow them on Twitter, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, and that's a great way. Of course, if we get a report for somebody for, for those areas, um, we can pass it along to them and vice versa. And really, it's important that we share that information anyway, because I mean, it's not necessarily severe weather, but consider um, beach hazards. People go to the beach all the time in the summer. And there are hazards along the beach that people maybe in this part of the state might not be aware of, whereas people that live along the beach, they're very aware of it. So like rip currents, most of the rip current deaths are not from people that live along the coast. They're from people that live inland, which is very unfortunate. So we're working with all of our other offices to try to share that safety information. And whether it's safety or like you said, after the, after the fact, reporting to us and letting us know what happened. And it is really important for us to know what happened as close to in real time as is safely possible, because then we can adjust our warning thresholds on the fly and maybe issue more warnings or fewer warnings, depending on what's actually going on out there. Awesome information. Uh, thank you, Trish, for that. Be sure to follow uh, Trish and the weather service down there at NWSGSP, and you can uh, find out all kinds of important weather information that's going to be affecting the upstate Western North Carolina as well. So Trish, thank you for your time. Thank you all for watching. We certainly appreciate it. Have a good night.